Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. We're right in the middle of a series on the Old Testament. We're answering tough questions about the Old Testament. And many of the attacks on our faith uh, nowadays are coming because of stuff in the Old Testament. Uh, Many Christians even today are throwing out the Old Testament. We've talked about that lots over the last few weeks. And so we've been answering tough questions about the Old Testament. Like two weeks ago, we talked about slavery. Does the Old Testament condone slavery? Does God condone slavery? And uh, lots of you have been sending me more questions. The list is growing. And we're going to spend certainly a few weeks on this and, and going through some stuff. And we want to touch on the Old Testament's treatment of women yet and, and uh, stuff like the flood and various things like that. Um, yes, all very important. But today, we've got the kids with us. We've got the middle school students with us. And I want to take a step back. I want to do a little bit of a different kind of a message having to do with the Old Testament because I want to give us a bit of context. And the reason I want to give us a bit of context is uh, as I've been preparing for this uh, message and for, over the course of this series and getting lots of questions from you, one of the things I realized is what I don't want to have happen is as we're going through this series, suddenly people start to get this almost like this fear. What if I forget some of the information? What if I forget some of the information? What if I go to work and someone challenges me with a question and I don't have an answer? What if I go to school and somebody challenges me with a question and I don't have an answer, okay? And the fact of the matter is, I'll never be able to answer all the questions anyway. If you go on the internet today, you can find literally thousands of questions about the Bible and about God. And you want to know something? We'll never be able to answer them all. Well, you'll never be able to answer all the questions. There's always more. A skeptic will always have more. And so the question is, if someone challenges me with a question about the Old Testament, they pull some verse of the Bible out, and we're going to get to violence and genocide in the Bible and all that sort of stuff. We're going to talk about that yet in a message. But before we even get there, someone pulls some verse out of the Old Testament of context and says, what about this verse where God commanded to kill all the babies and all that sort of stuff, and you don't have an answer, and a person says, hey, that just proves the Bible is bunk and God is a fairy tale. Well, if if someone challenges us with a question we can't answer, does that mean that everything we believe about this and about God is false? And the answer is no. The answer is no. See, there are different kinds of questions. There are foundational questions, and then there are following questions. There are trunk questions, and then there are branch and twig questions. You know, I have a tree I planted a number of years ago in my yard. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, over-obsessed with planting trees. My wife, my wife won't let me plant any more in my backyard. I have a small backyard, and I have an obsession with big trees. And uh, so I kept planting trees, and now as the years go on, it's really uh, growing in, and, and it'll be too much at some point. But a number of years ago, I planted an, an elm tree, and I was so pumped. I just wanted to have this gigantic, in my tiny little yard, I just want to have this gigantic, gnarled elm tree at some point in my life. Well, I planted this thing, and, uh, and it started to grow up, and it was doing well, because all my trees basically do well, because I just love trees. I consider myself a bit of a tree whisperer. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think it was right around the time when the warranty ran out, and this tree suddenly went straight sideways like this, and just started shooting, like literally horizontally towards the neighbor's yard. And of course, my, my wife thinks she knows a little bit. She tells me to, to rope it up and string it up. I said, no, 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 it's going to straighten out. And I waited for a couple of years and then realized it's not going to straighten out and now it's too late. And this thing grows literally 20 or 30 feet straight horizontal and then into the neighbor's yard. 
So finally last year, I just kind of lost my marbles and I sawed that thing off, and, uh, but it's still growing. This year it's still growing. It's going to be a bit of a conversation piece uh, moving forward, but it won't be the beautiful tree I always hoped that it would be. I'm not really sure why I shared that story, but it, the, kind of the point was that you can have a tree. If you cut that tree off on the trunk, okay, if you cut that thing off at the base, the tree's dead. But you can cut off a branch. You can cut off some big branches. You might hurt the tree a little bit. It's going to keep going. You can, you can cut off some twigs, no problem at all. See, there's trunk... There's branches, there's twigs. And the same is true of our faith and our belief in God. There are questions that are trunk questions, there are questions that are branch questions, and there are questions that are twig questions. Now, the internet and skeptics have, there's an infinite number of questions they can throw at you. And they will just constantly think up more and more and more. And many of them are completely focused in on twig issues. And so you answer one question for them, and they just hit you with 10 more. But the fact of the matter is, most of those questions that they're asking are absolute twig issues. You can take the thing off. You can leave it on there. It does not affect at all the reality of whether this book is true and whether God is real. So there are trunk questions. There are branch questions. There are twig questions. What I want to step back and do in the series. Now, it's not that it's not important to answer people's questions and even our own questions, and that's why we're doing this series on the Old Testament. And we, I do want to answer questions about violence, and we talked about slavery already and the treatment of women, all these things. There are good answers. But the fact of the matter is you're never going to remember all, you're never going to remember all the answers. And in fact, you'll never have all the answers. In fact, there are answers. I've been a Christian for many, many years and a pastor here for 15 this year. And there are still many questions about uh, the Bible. This is not a tame book. There are questions in here still that I don't have answers for. We won't always be comfortable. It's an ancient book. It's God's book. It's not tame. It's a little bit wild. There's no question about that. So, but what do we do then when we don't have all the answers and someone challenges us in a moment and what happens has happened to too many Christians is not only have they not been able to answer someone who had a question, but then sometimes what happens with us is actually, especially it's uh, not a good thing when it's young people and they feel like there's all these questions and there's no answers and now seeds of doubt are planted in their hearts and they begin to doubt. Maybe the skeptics are right. Maybe God isn't real. And what I want to teach you today is when people are throwing twig and branch questions at you that you don't have an answer to, we always have to bring people back to the trunk. We always have to bring people back to the trunk. Now, there are a few different trunk questions we could look at. I only have time for one today. I just have time for one, but it's a really important one. And so when someone is throwing stuff at you, like they open it up and they say, well, what do you do about this first? And what do you do about this thing? And homosexuality and, and women and slavery and all sort of stuff. And you don't have an answer. And then they say, see, God's a fairy tale. Before you let them throw God out and plant doubt, seeds of doubt in your heart, you've got to bring them back to a bigger question. Okay, you want to throw God out? Then let's ask ourselves a trunk question. You want to say God's a fairy tale? You want to say the Bible is bunk? Then you tell me where we come from. See, that's a trunk question. You, you want to say, God's a fairy, fairy tale. He's like the tooth fairy. He's like Santa Claus. The Bible's bunk. Okay, that's fair enough. That's your, that's, that's your uh, reasoning. Now you tell me, how did we get here? See, origins. How did the universe get here? How did we get here? That is a trunk question. That's not a twig question. It's a trunk question. Now the skeptic, the atheist, the unbeliever, they think it's up to us to prove to them that God exists, okay? They say, you guys want to believe in Santa Claus? You want to believe in Tooth Fairy? In fact, I have a great quote up here. Uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the world's most famous atheists right now. He's made millions of dollars writing books that make fun of God and, and of people who believe in God. That's us. 
He says this in one of his books. He says, if you want to believe in unicorns or tooth fairies, Thor or Yahweh, that's the Hebrew uh, name for God in the Old Testament, the onus is on you to say why you believe what you believe in, okay? The onus is not on the rest of us to say why we do not. Now, at first glance, a skeptic throws something like that at many of us Christians, and we go on the defensive, and we actually think the premise of this question is correct. We think, uh, and seeds of doubt come into our heart because we're like, well, that's true. God is kind of invisible. How do I prove to them that there's a God? Because the premise, the assumption behind this, this challenge is that it is more reasonable to not believe in God than to believe in God. The premise, the assumption here is it's crazier to believe in God who's invisible than just to not believe in him because we can't see him. But the question I want to answer today is, and with our middle school with students here with us this weekend, is which belief is actually more reasonable? Which belief is crazier? Is it crazier to believe in a God we can't see, or is it crazier to not believe in God? So someone throws a challenge at you. Someone comes at you with something from the Old Testament. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we can talk about slavery, before we can talk about homosexuality, before we can talk about anything, any of those sorts of things, we're never going to understand each other until we come back and talk about the trunk. So you think it's crazy. The reason you have questions about the Old Testament is because you've already thrown out God. So let's talk about how do we get here. Because the fact of the matter is, there's only three options. We have only three options of how the universe and how you and us here today got here. First option is, God created the universe. Well, admittedly, that's an extraordinary claim. Okay? The skeptic is correct. That's an extraordinary claim. It's not just a minor claim. That's an extraordinary claim that out there is this super powerful, intelligent being, God, who made everything that exists. That's an extraordinary claim. But now let's look at the other two options. Are the other two options any, th any less extraordinary? Well, the second option is the universe just popped into existence randomly out of nothing for no reason. That's, that's also a pretty extraordinary claim. And we'll come back to that in, in, in just a few minutes, but I wonder how many of you, just for a quick show of hands, have ever seen anything pop into existence out of nothing for no reason. That is three services in a row. That's three services in a row. That is an extraordinary, extraordinary claim, okay? And, and, and utterly impossible, as we all know. Well, there's a third one, and the third one, maybe on the face of it, looks the most reasonable to someone who doesn't believe in God. The universe, or some series of universes, has just always existed, okay? It, you know what? You Christians are crazy to believe in some invisible being, God, who made the universe. Of course, it's crazy to believe that the universe could just pop into existence out of nothing. So obviously, let's just go with what we can see. The universe just is. It just has always been, forever and ever and ever, it's just always been. Now, on the surface of it, that might seem reasonable. The universe just is, okay? Um, but the moment you say that the universe has been around for all of infinity, it has no start, it's been around for infinity, uh, we throw that word around today, infinity, and we throw it around like we know what it means, but actually the human brain cannot comprehend infinity, okay? So we throw around, oh, the universe has just always been here. A skeptic says that to you and you go, oh, okay, well, I don't know how to answer that. But what people have no idea of is, if you make the universe exist for all of infinity, some pretty bizarre things begin to happen. Uh, the first bizarre thing, because infinity is just a bizarre number. In fact, it isn't a number. There is no number that is infinity. The moment you name a number, it's not infinity. Infinity goes beyond it without end. So the moment you say that the universe has always existed, well, the first thing that happens is the universe can never age. 
It never changes age. It never gets older because to get older, you have to have a starting point somewhere. If it's infinitely old, it doesn't matter how far you go back in time. It never gets younger because if you go back a million years, there's still an infinite number of years before. If you go back a trillion years, there's always a trillion years before, okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere now for just a couple minutes. Can you all put on your thinking caps for just a moment with me? I don't want anyone, I just want to warn anyone with, uh, you know, potential brain hazard health uh, things that not to strain too hard. Um, but I do want you to concentrate, if you can, for just a moment, all right? If the universe, okay, has no beginning, okay, if the universe has no beginning, then we could never get to the present moment that we are in right now. That's deep. Isn't that deep? That's deep. You say, how could you never get to the present moment we're in now? We could never get to the present moment we're in now because it would already have happened. Okay, let me explain it this way, okay? Does anyone here have a birthday today? I will not make you wear a moose antlers. There we go, I finally, in the first person brave enough in the last three services, have a birthday today. Um, you have a birthday today. Let's say someone here is here today and they're having their 30th uh, birthday. How do we get to our 30th birthday? Well, I don't want to get too much into the details of how it all started, but if we just look at this chrono chronologically, <laughs> we'll just think about the time thing, not the how thing, but... Um, if you're having your 30th, let's say you're, you're having your 30th birthday here today, what that means is 30 years ago you were born, okay? And that, that's not rocket science there, but you had a start. In order for you to get to 30 years old, you had to have a start. So you had a birth date, a day when you were born, okay? And then time passed, and sometimes for your mother it passed very slowly, okay? <laughs> but days went by, and months, and weeks, and years, uh, you turn two, you turn three, more years went by, five, ten. Thirty years go by, you started here, thirty years went by, and you got to your 30th birthday. Well, but again, the reason you were able to get to your 30th birthday is because you had a start. Now, the moment we begin, begin to play with that start date, it also plays with your 30th birthday. So if we move your birth date back a year, then it isn't your 30th birthday. And again, this is not rocket science yet, but uh, it's not your 30th birthday then today. Your 30th birthday was a year ago. And if we move your birth date back 10 years, then it's not your 30th birthday today, it's your 40th. Your 30th birthday was 10 years ago. Now, here's the thing. What if we move your birth date back into infinity? Then you can never reach your 30th birthday, can you? Because no matter how far you go back, you'll never get to it. You can never have a 30th birthday. You can never have a first birthday. And the same is true of the very moment we're having right now in the universe. It is impossible for time to not have a beginning. If it has no beginning, we can never get to the present. Let me explain it to you one more way. Let's imagine that this water bottle is not a water bottle, it's a cup of hot Timmy's coffee, okay? And uh, someone, did someone just say woohoo? Um, that's an addiction, my friend. Come and see uh, <laughs> Tim or Stefan after. Um, so let's imagine this water bottle is a, is a hot cup of Timmy's coffee. Now, if I take the, the, the lid off my hot cup of Timmy's coffee and set it down here, what is going to happen? It's, it's going to, again, this isn't rocket science. It'll cool down, just so you know. That's the answer. It'll cool down. So if I, and by the way, that's the second law of thermodynamics, not to get into, into too many of the details here. That's just physics. You know physics. And that is that heat is going to dissipate. It's always going to dissipate. You're going to always lose your usable energy. So if I put my hot cup of Timmy's coffee down on the table, it's going to cool down to room temperature. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, uh, so I'm not totally sure how long that takes, but it's probably 5 or 10 or 15 minutes 
I take the coffee out, I take the lid off, it's going to cool down in whatever, 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, it's going to cool down to room temperature, all right? Now, again, that's the second law of thermodynamics, and that is heat, heat always dissipates, you always lose the usable energy, all right? Now, the same is true. Because it's, this is the law of physics, it doesn't just apply to coffee, it actually applies to the whole universe, okay? And so the whole universe, even as we speak, is actually cooling down, okay? It's cooling down. And what that means is that sometime in the future, again, now we know Jesus is coming back, thankfully. So we know we're going to live with him forever, heaven and earth and all that sort of stuff. But if we take Jesus out of the equation, here is our future. It's very hopeful. The universe is going to go dark, okay? All life will cease to exist. Because just like that cup of coffee, okay, eventually the usable energy, the heat, it all dissipates and the universe goes dark. There's no more stars burning. There's no more heat. There's no more light. Just like the cup of coffee, it has to happen. We're in the process. It is happening right now, okay? Now, here's the thing. If I come out uh, here on stage and I find the coffee piping hot, I know someone has put that coffee here within the last 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, okay? I know that because it's still hot. If it had been put here earlier, it would already have gone cold. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we look out at the universe, well, we can go out today and we can feel the sun shining on us. There's still warmth. And I can look out at the universe at night and there's stars shining and there's light and all this sort of stuff. The universe still has lots of heat, pockets of heat and light and energy being given off. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that the universe has not been sitting here forever. Because if the universe, if I come out and find the coffee at room temperature, that means it's been sitting here for a while. If I find it hot, I know it's been put here in the last little bit. If I look out at the night sky and see stars still burning and the sun still giving me warmth in the day, that means the universe has not been sitting here forever. Because if it had been sitting here forever, it would have gone cold and dark already. Does that make sense? It would have gone, it would have gone cold and dark already. Now, the thing is, time has to have a beginning, and the universe cannot have existed forever. By the way, the whole thing about you can't get to the present moment, Christian, Muslim, and Jewish philosophers have been making that point for centuries already, that the universe, it's actually logically impossible uh, for the universe to have existed forever, for time to have existed forever. And now we see the second law of thermodynamics tells us the same thing. Well, now science, within the last hundred years, confirms this, is that now the entire scientific community, they've found many proofs now, what they now call the Big Bang. And I always teach my kids that the Big Bang is true because scientists have finally caught up with Genesis 1 verse 1. It took scientists centuries and centuries to catch up because in Genesis 1 verse 1 it says, in the beginning, bang, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> the universe had a start. It's been in the Bible the whole time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, the universe cannot have existed forever. I'll read you a quote from Stephen Hawking, one of the most famous uh, physicists in the world today. He says this, All the evidence seems to indicate that the universe has not existed forever, but that it had a beginning about 15 billion years ago. Don't worry about the time. For some of you, that might bother you. It's okay. The point is there's a beginning, and scientists agree with that. This is probably the most remarkable discovery of modern cosmology, yet it is now taken for granted. The universe has not existed forever. Rather, the universe and time itself had a beginning in the Big Bang, which means now we started out with three options. Now remember, some skeptic at work or school tells you, now, you can't answer this question. Your God's a fairy tale in the Bible's bunk. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we talk about branches and twigs, let's come back to the trunk. You say God's a fairy tale. How do we get here? The universe has existed forever. Eh, wrong answer. We actually are down to two options. Either God created the universe. That's an extraordinary claim. 
or the universe popped into existence out of nothing for no reason. Now, which claim is more extraordinary? Now, I asked you before if any of you have ever seen anything pop into existence out of nothing, and none of you raised your hand. That's because no human being in history has ever seen something pop into existence from nothing. It's never happened. If we want to go by science, let's do a different experiment now. How many of you have ever seen an intelligent being, a human being, um, not that all of us are intelligent maybe, but, but how many of you have ever seen a, a human being build or design something? You ever seen that? Not, not all of you. That's actually surprising to me. Some of you live a very sheltered life. Um, I mean, I've seen my three-year-old build things with, a, with Lego. But anyway, uh, we've all seen people build things. We've all seen people design things. We've never, I mean, talk about science is just about testing things. We, none of us has ever seen something pop into existence out of nothing. So tell me which one of those is more extraordinary. They say, you have to prove to me that there's a God. And I turn around and say, you have to prove to me that something like this universe could pop into existence out of nothing because I don't have enough faith for that. My faith isn't big enough to believe that all of this that we see around us could pop into existence out of nothing. Imagine if we lived in a universe where stuff could just pop into existence out of nothing for no reason. Suddenly a humpback whale just, just appears out of nothing and wipes out the first ten rows here in, in, a, in a sanctuary. You're eating a peanut butter sandwich and suddenly there's a hedgehog in the middle of it or there's an elephant on your roof. I mean, it's bizarre. Things do not pop into existence out of nothing. And you say, well, those are ridiculous examples. How much more ridiculous is it if an elephant can't pop into existence out of nothing? How much more ridiculous is it to believe that the universe in which that elephant exists could pop into existence out of nothing? Which is more complicated? Which is more bizarre? But we all know that if I see something, if I find a watch lying around in my backyard, I don't look at that watch and think, maybe the wind blew through and put this watch together. I look at that watch and I know somebody put it there and somebody had to put it together. So which is crazier, to believe in God or to not believe in God? I took a quote out of Ravi Zacharias' book I've been reading recently, and he basically sums up what an atheist has to believe. I'm going to put it up there. This is what atheism, the belief of atheism is. It's the belief that there was once absolutely nothing and then nothing happened to the nothing until nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything and everywhere. Then a bunch of the magically exploded everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits that then turned into plants and fish and dinosaurs which then turned into human beings. You want to throw out the Bible because I can't answer one or two little questions in the Old Testament? What are your alternatives? What are your alternatives? Before we get all focused in, you don't have to know every answer to every question that's out there. We'll never have all the answers. Let's come back and just look at, is there a God? How did we get here and start from there? But you know, it's even more than that. It's even more than that. Because it's not just that the universe exists. It's the complexity of it. I mean, let's even grant, now it's not possible, but let's even grant that, I mean, let's, let's imagine, you go out in your front yard one day, it's been windy, and some plastic bags have, have, have blown into your front yard, into your hedges or something, and they're, and they're all jumbled there in a pile. Well, if I look at that pile, I can imagine that random natural forces have blown those things there, because it's, it's, not, it, it's, it's not designed, it's not engineered, it, that pile of garbage bags is just a jumble. Now, 
even that, a plastic bag, a jumble of plastic bags can't just pop into existence out of nothing. But even if we grant that, let's just imagine that a simple pile of plastic bags could, could pop into existence out of nothing, which is totally impossible. Let's just grant that it could. Um, you could say, well, okay, something that is just a jumble, a confused jumble, a confused mess, if I see that piled up in my backyard, maybe random forces could accidentally put that together. But if you go out into your front yard and you find the, the jet engine of a, of a Boeing 747, thousands of move, perfectly put together, thousands of moving parts, but it's not just that there's thousands of moving parts, it's that they're so precisely engineered. Like you look in, into the, to the blades that are sucking the air through in those turbines, they, have to, they can't be out by even fractions of a millimeter because they're moving so fast and so close to each other, it'll blow up the engine. So you have to have very precise engineering. So maybe a, a pile of plastic bags, and again, even a plastic pile of plastic bags can't pop into existence out of nothing. But even if, we, even if we grant that, which isn't true, but even if we grant that, sure, a pile of plastic bags in the front yard, maybe random forces of nature did that. But a jet engine, no way. Precisely engineered blades to fractions of a millimeter, all perfect, thousands of moving parts moving together, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's amazing. It's complex. You would never look at that jet engine and say, uh, you know, the wind blew through, picked up my children's toys, rearranged them, and built this. Why? Because luck and random chance are not an explanation for design or complexity. You cannot explain design or complexity with random chance. Now, here's the interesting thing about our universe. Not only is it a miracle that we exist, it can't, it can't just have popped into existence out of nothing, but not only is it a miracle just that it exists, the precision of the engineering of our universe that allows us to live in it is absolutely beyond human comprehension. See, there are a number of things. The way our universe works, we just take for granted. We just take gravity for granted. You know, the bottle falls and, and you know, the, the, the Earth stays in orbit around the sun and the moon stays in orbit around the Earth and things don't fly off into space. We take, for example, the force of gravity uh, for granted. But what we don't realize is the force of gravity is very precisely tuned. It's very precisely tuned. I just talked about a jet engine. The precision in engineering and building a jet engine is nothing compared to how the forces of nature are tuned in our universe. Nothing. If the force of gravity in our universe was just the teensy, and I'll tell you how teensy in just a moment, if it was just the teensiest bit stronger, the entire universe would collapse in on itself and we would all cease to exist. If the force of gravity in our universe was just the teensiest bit weaker, like I, just the teensiest bit, and I'll tell you how teensy in just a moment, weaker, the universe would fly apart and we would cease to exist, okay? Now, the fact of the matter is you could have universes. You say, well, it just had to be the, the, the number that it is. Actually, the gravitational constant, there's a bunch of other constants in physics. You could have, it's not logically impossible for those constants to be different. You could have an infinite number of universes with different constant numbers. The interesting thing is we just happened to get some very precise numbers that enable us to live in the universe. You say, how precise? Maybe it's just an accident, okay? How precise, okay? Here's how precise the, the, uh, the, the gravitational constant, how precise the strength of gravity has to be in order for us to live in the universe. It can't be out by more than one part in 10 to the 60th, okay? Now, I know 99% of you here, your favorite class was math, and you love math, so let's just do just a tiny bit of math. That means that the force of gravity was off by 
point zero 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 zero. There's 57 zeros there, okay? And I counted it two or three times because I know one of you jokers is going to take a picture and count and see if I was wrong, okay? <laughs> but there's 57 zeros in there. That took me way too long yesterday trying to ensure that. My eyes kept going cross-eyed and I was doing weird things, but there's 57 zeros there. Uh, if the force of gravity was out either stronger or weaker, by 0 .000, 57 zeros, 1%, in either direction, we all die. Okay, now again, that's a lot of zeros, and maybe you, you, your eyes go a little glazy, and you can't understand that number. I just, first of all, want to tell, I'm going to give you an analogy to help you understand it better, but that is a number no human engineering feat gets within trillions or quadrillions or anywhere close to that kind of precision. It, that jet engine is nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. That is an unimaginable number. Let me tell you how unimaginable, okay? What does that mean, one part in 10 to the power of 60? Okay, here's what it means. And I was up this morning. I had an analogy I used last night. This morning I got up during my prayer time and spent way too much time figuring out another one. But it was a little bit fun for me because I like math, okay? Um, if you took a grain of sand, okay, and threw it into the Grand Canyon, you can see where this is going now, okay? And this did take me too long this morning. But um, if you took a grain of sand and threw that into the Grand Canyon, and then you threw another grain of sand into the Grand Canyon, and another, another, um, in order for you to fill up the entire Grand Canyon, you would need, now I just got to make sure I get my number right here, you would need uh, 4.17 times 10 to the 24 grains of sand to fill up the Grand Canyon, okay? So that is 24 zeros. That's still not nearly uh, as many as we have in this number here. So you would have to fill up a trillion, trillion, trillion Grand Canyons with grains of sand, okay? to get a number anywhere close to this. Now, here's the thing you have to remember. So now you have grains of sand filling the Grand Canyon, okay? And now you have trillions and trillions and trillions of Grand Canyons filled with grains of sand. Here's how precise the, the gravity has to be in our universe. If you remove one grain of sand, you change the number by one grain of sand, the whole universe falls apart. It either blows apart, or if you add a grain of sand, it, uh, it collapses in, okay? But it just happened by chance. Does that sound like chance to you? And you know the funny thing is, it's not just gravity. I, they, we've got constant after constant, the weak magnetic force, the nuclear force, the, 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 the strong magnetic, the ratio of a proton's mass to electrons, the cosmological constant, which is, which is uh, powers and powers and powers and powers more, more accurate even than this one of gravity. There, there is so much. When you look at all the different constants, you can fill a page with all the constants in the universe that have to be precise to numbers that even dwarf this one here. They have to be that precise in order for life to be here. Okay, Roger Penrose, very famous uh, uh, scientist, he did some calculating, him and, uh, and Stephen Hawking, they actually did some, some calculating, and they figured out that in order for all of the constants to just happen to turn out the way they turned out so that we could live in this universe, uh, the chances of that happening are only 1 in 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 123. That is a number so far beyond our imagination. If you turned all of the matter in the universe into paper, you would not be able to write the number of zeros you'd need to write that number. Chance? Lucky chance, it just popped into existence and just happened to do it? That's not an explanation, and in fact, scientists know it's not an explanation. I'm going to read you a few quotes here. Fred Hoyle, British astronomer, one of the greatest scientific thinkers of the 20th century. He was an atheist all his life. I don't think he ever converted to Christianity. But when some of these discoveries were being made, he actually admitted to being greatly shaken in his, uh, in his atheism. He said this, Would you not say to yourself, 
some super calculating intellect must have designed the properties of the carbon atom. Otherwise, the chance of my finding such an atom through the blind forces of nature would be utterly minuscule. A common sense, look at, not a fairy tale explanation. You want the common sense explanation for how we got here? A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. I'm going to read you. I could read you tons of quotes. I found tons. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to show you another one in just a moment by Anthony Flew, a, a famous atheist who rejected atheism uh, in the last century. But uh, before I do, just imagine this. Imagine that you and your friend were playing a game of dice, okay? And by the way, I do not condone gambling, okay? I just want to use a little bit of, a, of an example here. And let's imagine you and your friend are playing a game of dice. And in this game, the, the game is if you roll snake eyes, your friend has to pay you, give you a toonie, okay? Now again, I don't Gambling is not good. Um, but I'm just saying, just for the purpose. So, and you're a cheap Mennonite, so you don't want to lose too many toonies. So <laughs> he rolls a toonie, you owe him a toonie. Uh, he rolls a snake eyes, you got to roll. Now, do all of you know what snake eyes is? Snake eyes is a one and a one, okay? So you got two regular dice. Your chances of getting a one and a one at any given time are six times six, because you got six numbers on one dice, you got six on the other, is one in 36, okay? So it happens. Now, if you play games, it's, snake eyes doesn't happen often, but it happens. One time in 36, we've all, you know, if you play any kind of games, you've rolled a snake eyes somewhere along on the way. So uh, he goes first, and he rolls the snake eyes, and you go, ah, oh, shoot. And yet you have fork over a tuning. That hurts a bit, but he gets to play. The way the game goes, as long as he's getting snake eyes, he can, he can roll again. So he rolls again. He gets a second snake eyes. Come on. Okay? Now, the chance of him getting two in a row, getting one, hey, that happens. Getting two in a row, 36 and 36, that's 1,296. That, uh, that means that you should only get two snake eyes in a row on average once every almost 1,300 tries, okay? But, okay, it's his lucky day. Um, maybe someone in all your games playing days, you've somewhere along the way seen someone do two snake eyes in a row. Okay, fine, you hand over another two, and you're now down four bucks, and, and you're really starting to smart. And now he comes out, he rolls his dice again, and he throws another set of snake eyes, and he gets three in a row. I mean, the chances of that now, we're... We're way in the, in, in the, in the, in the 40,000s, okay? Uh, wow, you're having a lucky day. Now, that's pretty rare. I bet you no one here in this, no matter how many games you've played, has ever rolled three snake eyes in a row. But somewhere in the whole world, it's happened before. I mean, it's happened a few times, no doubt, in human history. Someone's rolled three snake eyes in a row, okay? This guy is really, really lucky. There's no way he's going to throw a fourth one in a row. Now he takes the, the dice. He rolls a fourth one in a row. Come on. And then he rolls a fifth one in a row. And then he rolls a sixth one. By the time he gets to five and six, it's never happened in human history. Seven, eight, nine. The odds now of getting eight or nine snake eyes in a row are absolutely obscene. He gets to 10 or 11. He just keeps throwing snake eyes, snake eyes. Somewhere around 11 or 12 for sure, unless you are very gullible, you're going to stop and say, whoa, 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 this is not luck. <laughs> luck, the chances of this happening are so small, there is no way this is luck. Now imagine that your friend throws those dice every second of every day, day and night, and he does it for an entire year, and he never gets anything but snake eyes. He just rolls it. Would you believe that was luck? You would know that wasn't luck. You would know something's rigged. Those dice were designed to give you snake eyes because there's no way you could roll dice every second of every day for an entire year and only get snake eyes and nothing else unless those dice were designed to give you snake eyes. Chance does not explain that. Now imagine your friend does it for thousands and thousands of years. The numbers we're talking about here are way, 
way beyond that even. And it's design. Antony Flew, one of the most famous defenders of atheism in the 20th century, in the 1900s, he wrote a bunch of books that he thought were disproving God. Near the end of his life, he recanted, changed, rejected atheism, and wrote a new book called There Is a God, all based on this. And he says this, I've got, the, got a quote here from his book, There Is a God. What I think the DNA material has done is that it has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. It's the enormous complexity of the numbers of elements and the enormous subtlety of the ways they work together. The meeting of these two parts at the right time by chance is simply minute. It is all a matter of the enormous complexity by which the results were achieved, which looked to me like the work of intelligence. And I could show you many other quotes. So the question then is, well, hey, this is true. I mean, the most common sense, I just saw, showed you Fred Hoyle, Anthony Flusen, these guys, I could show you many others. If the most common sense interpretation, if you find a jet engine or a watch in your front yard, you know intelligence put that together because luck does not explain designer complexity, does not explain precision. If that's the most common sense interpretation, why are so many scientists still atheists? And I'll tell you what the answer is. It's not because of the arguments, it's because they don't want to believe in God. That's actually the truth. That's right. And they're coming up with ever more bizarre hypotheses in order to avoid the hypothesis that there must be a God, that there must be an intelligent being out there somewhere that put this all here and designed it. I'll only deal just briefly with one of them, and there's one more thing I want to say, and then we'll be done. One of the ideas that scientists throw around now, and some of you middle school students will encounter this in school, is the idea that there must be a multiverse. And what they mean by multiverse is that the idea is um, in order to get around these bizarre numbers that are so huge that this could happen by chance, they think, well, what if, scientists hypothesize, what if there's quadrillions, gajillions, billions, 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 trillions, gajillions, millions more universes out there, okay? All, none of them connected to our universe, just totally separate universes. And if there's enough of them out there, then the chances are that one of them could by chance get all these things right, and that must be our universe, and that's how we explain it away, the idea that there must be a God. Okay? And they actually teach this in schools, and they teach this, the multiverse theory. Now, the multiverse theory is crazy for a few reasons. First of all, the reason atheist scientists said in the first place that they don't believe in God is because they say you can't prove it. You can never prove a multiverse. You, you just said you don't believe this one, but you'll go and just make up something else wild. Maybe there's... And again, you'd have to fill up, again, if, you, if I go back to my Grand Canyon, in order to have enough universes for even one to happen by chance, you take that grain of sand, you'd have to fill up trillions, trillions, trillions of, of Grand Canyons with grains of sand, and each grain of sand is a universe in order for you to have enough universes for you to have the chance that one of them could maybe have the things that we see in our universe. But it goes even beyond that, because whatever mechanism you would ha you'd have to have in order to make all of these universes that exist that you can never prove or see or observe, that mechanism itself would have to be finely tuned. So even if you have a multiverse, you still need God to make the multiverse. So what we're left with is that people don't want to believe in God. Now, of course, there's another question then, and that is, can we know God? Can we know God? Because this is where some people are now starting to move because they realize now you actually can't defend the idea that there's no God. There's just too much. There's just too much out there for there not to be a God. So what they say then is, well, okay, maybe there's a God out there, but we can't see him. He's distant. Uh, he doesn't care. 
He just sort of, if, he, if he's out there at all, we don't, don't need to pay attention. We can't see him. He just set the universe in motion, and that's what it is. Let's just deal with what we can see. We just can't know. But this is a wrong assumption as well. If we look at the design of the universe, the fact that there's beauty, we look at the universe, the fact that it's beautiful, the fact that our incredibly complex brains can enjoy beauty, the fact that there is this thing called beauty. Evolution can't explain that. The fact that there's this thing called beauty, the fact that all of the, the factors in physics were so precisely tuned for human life shows us that God loves us and he wants us to know him and he wants to know us. And the more amazing thing than that is, so we look around the universe and we see there, there's this unimaginably, uh, unimaginably powerful and intelligent being out there that put all this together and he fine-tuned it just for us. He loves us. What was really amazing is that unimaginably powerful and intelligent being actually put on a human body and came down to earth to introduce himself to us in a person of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. That is stunning. And I could do a whole nother message showing you proofs for the existence of Jesus Christ and proofs for his resurrection. That's a whole nother message we don't have time for here, but that isn't a fairy tale either. It's absolutely unbelievable. We look around the universe and we're in awe. Who, what kind of a being could have designed this, could have engineered this, could have put this together, and he actually put on a body and came down to earth to introduce himself to us. Amen. And this God loves us and we can pray to him and he hears us, and he loves us deeply. I don't believe in this God because of blind faith. I believe in this God because of what I see all around me. Now, here's what's sad. Here's what's sad. Last week, Tom preached an awesome message uh, about kids and middle school and all that sort of stuff. And the statistics tell us right now here in Canada, many of our young people are leaving the faith, they're leaving the churches, and they're not, and they're not coming back. And one of the reasons is because we're doing a bad job. The culture is telling them God is a fairy tale. Christianity is ridiculous. Look at all the holes. Our culture is pressuring that, pressuring that. And as churches and as parents, we are not doing a good job of helping our kids to see what's actually right in front of us, that it's obvious God has to exist. It's obvious. It's the best interpretation. And like Tom said last week, 70% of kids, though, by the time they're 13, they've made up their mind and they'll never change it throughout the course of their lives. So as a church, I just feel an urgency. I feel an urgency to our middle school students and our kids' men students. I feel an urgency for our parents. We have got to give our kids a foundation in truth. We have got to give them a foundation in truth. So I have a weekly challenge for this week, and I just got three things. The first one is this. Uh, Tom's going to teach a Raising Confident Christian Kids Parenting Workshop here at the church Saturday, June 17th from 1 to 3 p.m. I'd encourage you, if you're a parent here today, if you have young kids or middle school students, high school students even, yes, sign up and, and take that workshop. It's going to be awesome. I'd love it if we just packed it out in here. I think it's so important that we pass these truths on to our kids and help them stand strong for life. Second thing is kids... Adults, every one of us here, the next time someone says to you, I'll believe in God the moment he shows himself to me, and I've had people say that to me before, I'll believe in God the moment he shows himself to me, you can take that question and with love and grace and confidence, you can throw it back and say, he has. He has. The onus is not on me to have to prove to you that God exists. The onus is on you to explain how this all came to be and how there couldn't be a God. He has shown himself to us. And then the last thing is, this God will reveal himself to you. Whether you are a skeptic, a, a doubting, a seeker, or a person who's been walking with the Lord for years, this super intelligent, unimaginably powerful being who made this universe loves us, and he will reveal more of himself to us if we will just ask him. And so I'm going to get you just to bow your heads with me and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray to God. 
that he would reveal himself more to us, that the truth of who he is and how real he is would make its home in us deeper and deeper. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us more than enough evidence. On judgment day when we stand before you, nobody's going to be able to say you didn't show yourself to the world. You have shown yourself to the world. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to this earth as well to introduce you to us. Father, I pray for every person in here. I pray for every middle school student in particular and, and, and every child, Lord Jesus, that the truth of who you are, this culture is filling people's heads with lies and doubt and skepticism. I pray that you would give our kids a strong foundation in truth, that not one of them would be lost, that they would stand in a strong foundation for life. And Father, I pray for each of us here. There may be some doubters. There might be even some skeptics. But even those of us who have walked with you for a long, long time, Lord, would you reveal more of yourself to us this week? Could we become more confident in who you are and in knowing you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.